I want to talk from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read the first 12 verses, I think. Yeah, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. Uh, you maybe think Christmas is over. Why are you bringing us back to Matthew chapter 2? Um, but if you've, wor- if you've picked up anything from me over the last few months, I wonder if you've picked up how much of a liturgical wannabe I am. Uh, growing up in Pentecostal charismatic circles my whole life and have got an insight into the, the gift of the sacred calendar and feel like a real wannabe. And uh, so this morning we're looking at, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Christian calendar, we're looking at what is known as, as, a, as Epiphany. And it's taken from this, uh, this story of the Magi. Now I'm committing to that. I don't know if it's Magi or Magi or whatever you want to call it, but this is I'm starting out now and I'm committing to it the rest of the time. The Magi. Magi, the visit of the Magi is what it says in the top of my book. All of a sudden that doesn't even sound like a real word. Magi, is that right? Anybody know what the pronunciation is? Um, I'm making a mess already. Um, so what the, in the Christian calendar, what this is, I suppose, celebrating is the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles. That Gentiles would come from afar to worship the king of the Jews. But even just the, the very word epiphany itself, I just love it. It says sudden revelation. And that's what epiphany is. That's what, it's, that's what it's being marked in the Christian calendar. This sudden revelation that the Magi had in, a, in the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And I don't want to ruin anybody's nativity scene, but just so that you know, like it never says anywhere that there's three. Like I know that there's three gifts brought, um, but it never says anywhere. But if you, want to, if you want to keep with the three, stick with it. But what I can guarantee you is that there is no possible way that the Magi were part of the, the nativity scene. They weren't there at the birth of Jesus. They reckon, if you go, if, even if you just were to read further on in the story, you'll realize that it was probably up, up to two years before the Magi had made their way um, from the east to the place where Jesus was born. And so I'm not trying to be uh, a smart aleck, I'm just letting you know. I don't want to... I could continue. That is it. I am tempted every Christmas to ruin everybody's nativity, but I, I always avoid it. Um, but I'll, do, I'll, I'll let you in on that. This was an epiphany. This was a sudden revelation that was granted to these learned, learned wise men from the East. An epiphany granted to these Gentiles. An epiphany, and, I, and sometimes I almost don't know what to do with this. An epiphany granted to astrologers, astronomers, magicians. Oh my goodness. How can, how can the Holy Spirit bring revelation to magicians and astrologers? People that charted the stars. That's what they, that's what they did. And, the, and G, the Spirit gives revelation, an epiphany, a sudden revelation to these men. They were men learned wise who had discerned a sign in the stars that someone of great significance had been born. And I just find it remarkable, I find it incredibly interesting, and don't know how much more to reflect on it, that, that the Holy Spirit would bring revelation 
to astrologers and magicians. And they had enough of a revelation. Whatever took place, whatever those conversations between the, the Magi looked like, there was enough of a revelation. There was enough of what they discerned in the stars. There was enough for them to set aside everything else, to set out on what they reckon was a thousand mile journey at least, to see the one who was born King of the Jews. Let me re- Sorry, let me read these verses. Um, Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, may, I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So if I touch on it, was there three of them? How long did it take? But here we have this account of the first Gentile worshippers of the king of the Jews. And so as I was trying to get my head, my imagination isn't always good. I tried to imagine the scene. I tried to imagine these learned, wise men. I imagine them as being men of influence. I imagine them as being men of of pomp maybe of ceremony and they arrive at the place where the star stopped over the place where Jesus was and I and I and I think about these men as they walk in they've discerned in the stars that the that there's someone of significance has been born one who has been born the king of the Jews and they could have looked at his surroundings Bethlehem was not an impressive place. They could have thought about this one that was born of significance, the one king of the Jews, and they could have been forgiven for thinking that maybe they were, the star would have hung over a palace or a place of significance or a place of influence. Could have hung over 
uh, a family, parents who had uh, some sort of significant role within the community. And I consider that that is not what, where the star went. That is not what they witnessed. And I wonder, could they have arrived, looked at the surroundings, looked at the status of the family and thought that maybe they'd got it wrong? They'd made this thousand-mile journey, months and months, trekking over rough terrain on maybe awkward big lumps of camels and, and, uh, and making all the way there, seeing the surroundings and wondering if they'd got it all wrong. But they so trusted the revelation. They so trusted this sudden revelation that had been given to them that they fell down and worshipped. And I couldn't help but think of where we went last, last week is for Sunday of the new year and, and inviting you to walk humbly with your God. And think of the, again, the status and, and have an impression of what these guys would have been like when they arrive and this, they, they see this little baby born in an unimpressive place, surrounded by seemingly insignificant people. But they so trusted this revelation, they so trusted this epiphany that they fell down and worshipped. And sometimes, how often does, does pride prevent us from, from, from doing that? From trusting the revelation, from trusting the, what the, the Holy Spirit is doing in us and revealing to us. There's times we just need to trust it and fall down and and worship, humble ourselves and surrender, humble ourselves and submit to the one who is not only king of the Jews, but now through this revelation reveals himself as king of kings, king of all kings and lord of all lords. And they bowed down and they worshipped him, trusted this revelation, they presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm not going to spend time, but, but as we look at this, the symbolic nature of these gifts, the gold was symbolic of royalty, acknowledging Jesus, this little infant, as king. The frankincense was symbolic of divinity, his deity. The frankincense symbolized that. In the mirror, it was symbolic of death. Not a pleasant gift <laughs> to give to a two-year-old. There's something about this revelation that as we fast forward to the end of the, the story of Jesus' life, we, uh, in John 19 in particular, we're told of how Nicodemus, uh, who followed Jesus when nobody else was watching, hoping nobody else would find out. In the middle of the night came and with Joseph of Arimathea and took the body of Jesus. And, uh, and they brought a concoction with them of, of myrrh and aloes and spices. And they wrapped, his, they wrapped his body with a cloth according to the burial custom of the, of the Jews. And so these gifts, they're, they're symbolic. 
they're they're significant as we were worshiping uh, as we were worshiping this morning that that song king of kings haven't sang it in so long and, um but I just became struck all of a sudden. I'm not sure whether it was one of the lines in the song. But the wonder of this, not just this story, but the whole, the whole story of the birth of Jesus and actually his life as well was how accessible he made himself. He made himself so accessible. If he was born in a place of significance, if he was born in a, in a palace, he was born surrounded by guards, whatever it was. How inaccessible would he have been? But he purposely made himself accessible to the shepherds so that the lowest of the low would be able to meet with him, to encounter him, to worship him, to know him, to experience him. And the same, whether it was the lowest of the shepherds or whether it was these learned wise men coming from the east, he still makes himself accessible. He doesn't find himself in a place of importance just so that these guys will be impressed. He finds himself in an ordinary place amongst ordinary people. Because that's what the birth and the life of Jesus reveals to us, how accessible he made himself. And I think that is also part of this manifestation. I think it's also part of this revelation of how accessible Jesus makes himself. I feel like there's maybe loads of other things that we could we could pull out of this story, but it was it was this last verse that I just wanted to close our our time with. And so it's verse twelve, let me read it again. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route. And I don't know whether it's a, it's a New Year thing or what it is, but that line, it's been that line that is just, honestly, it feels like it's just been in my head for the last couple of weeks. They returned to their country by another route. Because of the revelation of Jesus, because they have how they encountered the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, everything changed. And so, and so they came to they came to discover who this Jesus was. And upon encountering him, they could not go back. There is no way to go back the same. There is no way of going back the same route when you've encountered the King of Kings. And so I am so struck by that. I'm so personally challenged by it. Because I think we'll, we don't just have those moments at the start of a year. I think we have those moments regularly where we have an opportunity, we have an invitation to encounter Jesus. And when you've encountered him, when you've truly encountered him, you won't be able to stay on the same route. You won't be able to stay on the same path when you've encountered Jesus. And so I'm, this is, I, I, I'm asking myself this and I'm challenging all of us in the church in general. How, is it possible? Is it possible to encounter Jesus and still stay on the same road? Sometimes my frustration, I think, within evangelism is that we, we almost present Jesus as an addition to your life. 
if you don't want if you don't if you want to go to heaven when you die well here's here's Jesus pray this prayer and and just continue on your way and maybe that's really unfair forgive me but that's just sometimes the frustration I have the angst that I have that that Jesus is like an, an add-on you've got all this other stuff but while you're continue on the same way just add Jesus onto it Actually, if you've truly encountered him, you're going to go a completely different route. You're going to take a completely different path when you've encountered Jesus. And so part of me is desperate. I feel like I've been in this story for a few days and desperate to know what happened, the story of the Magi. Like what happened? Because what the life that they came from, I can't imagine that they went back. Because now they had to rethink everything. The first Gentiles to, to, to experience this manifestation of Jesus, and they're going back to the east, they're going back on this track home where they've now have to rethink everything. This revel of, revelation of Jesus is, is it's going to cost them everything. Like the priorities, everything's changed, the priorities change, there's nothing that's going to be the same. And if you're willing to take another route, it's going to cost you everything. For us, we're inviting you to a fast. That's going to cost you something. And we think of a maturing and a deepening of faith. It's going to mean taking a different route. It's going to mean going on a different path. Because we're desperate to encounter him. And it's going to be costly. At times, and maybe for the Magi, again, I'd love to get into their, their headspace and see what was going on. It maybe felt like they were starting again. And that's, that's what it is, isn't it, to be born again? It, it, you, you, to, to start a new life or to begin a new path, the old, has to, the old has to die. You can't keep on the same road. I believe these men had to th- rethink everything. And it was costly. And I don't think anything's changed. I think the invitation is the same for us. If you've truly met with him, if you've truly encountered him and fell down and worshipped him, had the revelation of who he is, well, don't go back the same way. Don't pick up the same route again. It's going to cost you to go a different way. Your priorities will change. Your lifestyle will change. Your habits will change. And again, that's part of the invitation in, in, in fasting and building resilience in our midweeks. It's acknowledging that this is going to be costly things will change. He's not an addition to our lives. He comes to in order and enable us to die to ourselves in order to begin a new route, to take a different path. And I don't think that's just a just a one off story. I think that is constantly the invitation. Constant encounter, constant constant revelation that will take us off the path that we're going that's about, that can become so about self and our ambitions and our plans. But to encounter him is to, to continue to go on a different route, rethinking, counting the cost, 